Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling To what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's go to God in prayer. Let us pray. Father, we are so grateful for the salvation you have provided in your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would guide us into your word, into your truth. Father, we pray for discernment through the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, at this time to know the truth and to live according to your truth. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. 
We see the transition in the book of Romans. Romans 1 through 11, the Apostle Paul gives clear statements of what it means that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Apostle Paul makes clear what it means that we are saved in Jesus Christ, that he is the propitiation, that he is the atoning sacrifice, that he is the perfect one who takes our sin and bears God's wrath so that we can receive forgiveness, grace, and love. And then Romans moves and talks about us being united in Christ. And as he talks about that unity in Christ, I take you to Romans 6. Romans 6, verses 11 through 13. I'll be reading that. Because Romans 6 sets up that unity and that who we are in Christ in a way that Romans 12 builds on. So we see how Romans 12 is building on all these previous chapters where the Holy Spirit is inspiring the Apostle Paul to present God's truth. Romans 6, starting at verse 11. So you also, the you would be every believer, Everyone who believes in Jesus Christ, who has faith in Jesus Christ, who has been made alive through the power of the Holy Spirit, and who loves God. So this is, these are the saved people, the new people in Christ. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Now Romans 6, 11 through 13 uses a lot of Big words to say this. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. For your Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. That's what Romans 6 is all about. Be careful, little hands, what you touch. Be careful, little feet, where you go. Be careful, little mouth, what you say. Little mind, what you think. Be careful. Because in Jesus Christ, if you believe in Jesus Christ, then you have died with him. No, even more graphically than that, your old life of sin has been crucified with Jesus Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul says. And that's what baptism is a symbol of. When you go into the waters of baptism, you are going into the ground. You're dying to that old self of sin so that when you are raised up, you are raised up to new life in Jesus Christ. So when you're tempted by sin, when we're tempted by our fallen flesh, we say, no, I am dead to that. When we're tempted by the devil, when we're tempted by the fallen world around us, we say, no, I have been crucified with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has won the victory on the cross. 
I am alive no longer to live according to that old flesh. So that's what Romans 6 establishes that and works on that and develops that. And we see that's the theme that's lifted up in Romans 12. Romans 12 is all about if that is who we are in Christ, then we can live a new life because of God's grace and mercy shown us through Jesus Christ. So if you look in your bulletins there on the back, I have an outline. That's there if you would like to follow along. It also gives the other, other scripture references I'll be touching on to kind of guide us along through this passage. So we can see that the main theme of Romans 12 is this. Romans 12, you take the first verse, verse 1, and you take verse 21, the last verse of the chapter, and that's what this entire chapter is about. Everything else is just helping us understand how to do verse 1 and verse 21. So we can see verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, this is the big mystery of the Scriptures. This is the big mystery. This is the mystery when the Apostle Paul says, I come revealing the mystery of the gospel in Jesus Christ. It is this. How is it that we can be right with God? How is it that we can be saved? Because every time in the Old Testament they would offer a sacrifice, remember sacrifice upon sacrifice, Millions upon millions over the years of animals that were sacrificed for the sins of the people. But as soon as that animal was sacrificed and its blood spilled, the people continued to sin. So they continued to need more sacrifice. It was this unending process. And all ultimately the law does is show us that we cannot save ourselves. That no matter what sacrifice we would offer of ourselves to God, it falls short. As the scripture makes clear, all our righteousness is like filthy rags. We can't stand before a holy God. So that's what's amazing about Romans 12. It talks about us presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. But again, the only reason we can do that is because if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have died to your old self, and now you are alive in Him. And it is His righteousness that is given to you, that is imputed to you. It is His perfection, His righteousness that is given to us. So that is how we can present ourselves We present our lives, we present ourselves to God because in Christ, the Father sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So that's how we're even able to do this amazing thing that Romans 12 says. 
So that's verse 1. Our lives are to be this spiritual sacrifice. And then verse 21 is this. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So that's, the, that's how this passage of Scripture is framed. Our lives are to be a spiritual, living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Now, there's a key thing about a sacrifice there. A sacrifice is only a sacrifice because it dies. In the Old Testament, when you offered the animal on the altar, the animal had to die to be a sacrifice. But what's interesting here is the Apostle Paul is saying this. He's saying to present your bodies as living sacrifices. Now, that's interesting. What does that mean by living sacrifice? That means that we, because we know that in Christ we have His righteousness, we know that in Christ we have forgiveness, we have been made right with God, we can continue to sacrifice of ourselves before God to give Him glory and praise and honor. Christ died for us so that we do not have to die anymore. It's an amazing statement. And it says this, holy and acceptable to God. Again, our actions are only acceptable to God because of His grace and the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. So that's how we have to understand chapter Romans 12, verses 1 and 21. The only reason they work is because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Jesus Christ, the perfect one. Jesus Christ, the one who is raised from the dead. Jesus Christ, the one who intercedes on our behalf at the right hand of the Father. And Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who is coming again. That's the only way Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and verse 21 works. So as we look at this, this chapter is explaining to us how we do this. What does it look like to live lives that are spiritual worship, to live lives that are living sacrifices? So what this means is daily dying to our pride, dying to our selfishness, dying to our sin. We wage war every day against our fallen flesh as we seek to live according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. So what's wonderful about this passage of Scripture is the Apostle Paul gets very practical he looks at everyday living, and he looks at what it means to live the new life that Christ gives us. So I have it divided up here in three ways. The first one, verses 12, I mean verses 2 and 3, it talks about this new mind. What it means to have a new mind, a renewed mind in Jesus Christ. And then we see down below verses 4 through verse 8, we see about a, what it means to be a part of a new body in Jesus Christ. Our salvation 
isn't just that we are made right with God. It's that we now become a part of a body. We are a part of a people of God with gifts and abilities that are of vital importance for us to live together for Christ's glory. And then three, this new life according to the power of the Holy Spirit, this new life of being a living sacrifice is a life of true, genuine love. This is what love looks like. So this is how this passage is is developed to emphasize what it is to overcome evil with good and to live for Christ's glory. So as we look at this new mind, number one, the new mind, we see that again emphasized in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this rule. So remember, in Jesus Christ, you've died to your flesh. You've died to the powers and principalities of the devil and the demonic that have influenced over your life. And you've died to the world. So that's what it says here. Do not be conformed to this world anymore. Those old patterns of sin, those old patterns of disregard and disobedience to God, those old patterns of living for me, myself, and I is over. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So this is this new mind that the Holy Spirit gives you. So now that you've been made alive, you can, you can begin to understand God for who He is and understand yourself and Understand other people for who they are, who God has made them to be. This is this new mind, new eyes to see, new ears to hear, a new way to understand reality. There are two aspects of this new mind. Number one, a new mind through the Holy Spirit enables us to test. We can discern God's will and we can begin to understand what is good versus what is bad. And what we are to discern and live according to is what is good, acceptable, and perfect. This is a setting your minds on the things that are above, setting your minds on the things of Jesus Christ, setting your minds on the promises in the Scripture, setting your minds, the focus of your prayers and desires and and your yearnings, and, and you're filling your minds with the truth of God rather than the, the lies of the world that are all around us. And that's how we're able to test things and understand, uh-huh, does that match up with God's Word? If it doesn't, it's no good. Oh, uh-huh. Is that true? Well, let's see. Let's check God's Word. Let's pray about that. Let's get with other believers. We get the ability to discern because the Holy Spirit makes God's Word alive in our hearts and minds so that we may begin to live those lives of sacrifice and service to God. But not only is there an understanding of this testing so we begin to know what's good and what's not good in life, but it's also verse 3 here. We begin to think properly about ourself. That's verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with 
Sober judgment. Sober judgment. Stop living in a state of prideful, self-focused drunkenness. That's what it's likened to. Pride is likened to drunkenness here. When you are so caught up, when I'm so caught up, when we are so caught up in our pride, in our selfishness and that, it's like we are, we are drunk. We lose the ability to understand other people and care and concern in that. So literally, the Apostle Paul is saying, you need to be made sober through the humility that comes to the Holy Spirit. That's the sobering of humility, of sacrifice of oneself for the other. That's what's lifted up here in verse 3. So this is this new mind, the new mind that the Holy Spirit gives us. This is all by God's grace. Just as we are saved by God's grace, there's nothing we can do to earn salvation. This ongoing process of living for God, again, is through the gifts of God's grace and mercy that we are called to live out and glorify God through. So we see this understanding of the new mind, and then it transitions now to verses 4 through 8. Not only are we given a new mind, but we are a part of a new body. This is a part of this death to pride and understanding that humbly it isn't all about us. When you've been saved, you've been saved to be a part of the body of Christ. You no longer belong solely to yourself. First of all, you belong to Jesus Christ. He's the one that paid the penalty. He's the one that died so that you could be made right. He's your master. That's literally what the scriptures say. Jesus Christ is our master. He is over us. He is our Lord. He is our King. And also, He is the most tender, loving friend. The most caring one you'll ever know or meet. So you belong to Him, but then to give us in this right understanding of who we are and other people are in Christ, it says this, that we are now a part of the body of Christ. We are members with different functions. This is a powerful statement. Again, it isn't about me, myself, and I. It is about Jesus Christ and my brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the whole shift in our thinking and in our living. That's what it says here in verse 5. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. It's a powerful statement. We are members one of another. And we have these different gifts and we are to use them for God's glory and for the service of one another. And we do this with zeal. And we do this with gratitude. And we do this with all that we can because of our thankfulness to what the Holy Spirit has done through Jesus Christ in the love of the Father. We see this, these different gifts. It isn't just that we use these gifts, but that we use these gifts with joy and thankfulness and gratitude. In service, in our serving of others. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes 
in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, with, with purpose, with desire, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, gratitude, thanksgiving that God's enabled you to serve another person in such a way. So we see how we're given a new mind. We're a part of the body of Christ. This is emphasized again and again throughout the Scriptures. Another passage that parallels this by the Apostle Paul is Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 talks about how crucially important this is that we are this one body serving each other. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. These are the goals of this living sacrifice, this spiritual worship of living together of God's people. That we would all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. And that's what we see ultimately. It's about love. It's about learning to love in a sacrificial way as Jesus Christ modeled love. Remember, that's 1 Corinthians 13. That's the love passage in the Bible. That's what it means, John 3.16. Love is this. That God would so love us that when we are still enemies, when we are still rebelling against Him, that He would send His Son to die for us. His Son who was perfect to die for those who would believe in Him. He does that because of love. Because of His grace and mercy. Because we couldn't save ourselves. So if God would so love us, And if now we have died in Christ and we're raised to new life in Christ, if we are now living in Christ, then we will be living that same love. This is love. And that's what verses 9 through 20, that's what those verses do. They're all in some way about love. What love looks like. Verse 9, let love be genuine. Let love be true. It's a beautiful statement. Because the rest of verse 9 puts it in the most powerful way that would connect with us. Verse 9, let love be genuine. Adhor what is evil. Recoil in horror over evil. This is, this is the new life we are to have in Christ, where more and more, when we are confronted with sin, when we're confronted with evil, 
when we're confronted with something that is in disobedience to God, rather than desiring that as we would in our flesh, more and more we would be horrified by our own evil. We'd just recoil at it. We, we, we don't want to have anything to do with living a life of sin anymore. So rather than desiring evil, it says at the end of 9, hold fast to what is good. The other word for hold cl- fast is to cleave, to hold on to. Now, where do we see that concept in the Bible? The concept is this. And a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. That's what, that's what the Apostle Paul is taking here. This new life in Christ, we've been freed from sin. And more and more, when we're confronted with temptation to sin, we'll say no to that. We'll run from that, like running, for, like Joseph running from Potiphar's wife, that kind of running. Well, you're running, you save yourself. So we run from that sin, and then we cleave, we hold fast, we become united with what is good in the image of marriage, coming one with what is good. And what does that mean? And that's what the rest of the verses show. True love for one another means that we have zeal to serve each other. True love means we rejoice in hope. We are patient in tribulation. We are in constant prayer for one another. True love means we contribute to the needs of the saints and we show hospitality and we sacrifice of our time and energy and effort to serve one another, knowing the love that God has displayed to us in Jesus Christ. True love means we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. We care enough about them to be moved by their joy and moved by their struggles and we want to be there to walk alongside of them. True love seeks peace and true love never seeks peace revenge and that's what the entire last part of this is verses 19 through 20 you don't seek revenge you leave that to god you leave that to his power his wrath his concern insofar as it deals with you you seek peace and honor and love for one another What a passage of Scripture. This is another one of these passages where you're like, this is impossible. Exactly. In your power, in your strength, in my ability, it is impossible. But again, this whole chapter is founded on the grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. And it is in His power, His love, His grace, that He continues to guide us every day in what it means to die to ourselves and live to God's glory and in service of Jesus Christ as we seek to serve one another. So let us pray. Father, we thank You for Your goodness. 
We thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you that whenever we we look at a passage of Scripture like Romans chapter 12 and it seems overwhelming, we thank you that we can do this because of you, because of the righteousness of your Son, Jesus Christ, because of the power of your Holy Spirit, and because you, O Father, not only are you our Redeemer, but you are our Sustainer. Not only have you justified us once and for all in Jesus Christ, but you sanctify us and make us holy and acceptable by your love and grace. Father, we thank you. In Christ's wonderful name, amen.